I would like to invite you to open up your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 to 24. If you are new to the Bible, you can find um, a Bible in front of you, and in the table of context, you can find um, the book of Ephesians. Um, so Ephesians 4, 17 to 24. So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to, to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him accordant, in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. This text actually has been really hard. If you've read this text, and hopefully you did prior to this gathering, um, this text has been really hard for me because whenever, before I ever preach a passage, I always want to make sure I apply it first, right? And it needs to minister to me first if I'm going to try to minister to you. And one of the tricky things about this passage is because within the passage, it talks about being, having deceitful desires. And so I've been asking God, what are the deceitful desires that are still inactive in me? And the problem with that question is because if I'm truly deceived, I don't know that I'm deceived, right? So I'm trying to figure out how I'm deceived. So this week has been challenging, and I've been begging God to show me more layers of areas in my life that I have, I'm still putting on the old self and where areas that how I can take it off and put on the new self in Christ. And so um, that's going to be a challenge for all of us, and so we need the Holy Spirit to do it because we can't do it just by merely thinking hard or having a good pros and cons list, or whatever you can do. And so that's going to be for all of us. For those who are believers in the house, um, this is going to remind us what Christ saved us from, and it's also going to remind us what we can fall back into if we're not careful, and what the world is currently in. So, in, And if you're not a believer, this is the state you're right now in. And some of it is going to make no sense to you, and you're going to see why, because the text actually sh shows you that it's actually nonsense to you. The gospel and all that we're talking about is nonsense unless God intervenes, and that's what we're praying for. And so let's start off with the context. What are we, what are we looking at? We started off three weeks ago in Ephesians chapter 4 and shifting gears in this letter and saying that walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. And so for the next rest of the, rest of the book, we're talking about and unpacking what does it look like to live in a manner that is consistent with what God has done. Now, this section today is going to unpack broad principles of what it looks like. And then after this week, when we go through the, next, the rest of the book, it's going to be very specific and practical on how we relate with one another. Okay, But today is going to be a little bit more broad, but specific in certain areas. And you will see that. Would you look at verse 17? Chapter 4, verse 17. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, and I'm reading from the NIV, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. Now, note that he says, I insist on this in the Lord. 
It's important that he says in the Lord because he's emphatically stating this is so important and this is not just my opinion. This is not just a supposal, like, hey, you should try this out. He is saying, I'm speaking from the very authority of God, and I just want to remind you, no matter how you feel about me, no matter how old I am or young I am or how much education I have or how much I don't, if I'm accurately representing this text, this is the word of God, then I am speaking with the very authority if Christ would be standing right here among us. And that's what Paul's saying. He's I'm speaking in the Lord. This is coming from him, not me. And what is, note, he's dressing, addressing them and saying that they should no longer live as the Gentiles do. Now, that's kind of weird because who is his primary audience? What are they ethnically? What are they? Gentiles. Just like all of us here, I know almost everyone's story in here. I don't think any of us are Jewish heritage. So all of us are Gentiles. And so how is he going to call us out to not be what we are? So it's like, what, Ross, stop being white right? That, that, that would be impossible for Ross, especially if you know him, right? And so you can't, you can't say that, right? So what is Paul doing right here? So what Paul's doing is he's making a distinction between ethnic Gentile, being an ethnic Gentile, and like a spiritual Gentile, okay? There's a, and, and we see this, Paul doing this in Romans about Jews. There's true Jews, and they haven't had the of the heart. We're doing okay here? The mic? Okay. And so just to let you know, as he calls them out to live no longer as the Gentiles do, he's not calling them to forsake their ethnic heritage, but the culture that surrounds what it means to be a Gentile. And as you see, he says, no longer. Notice that he says, no longer. You are no longer this. So he's not saying you're no longer Gentiles. You're, no, you're now a new ethnicity. He's not saying that. He's saying you have been brought out of that culture, that world, the, that value system, and you're a new kind of person. And so something very important to highlight is that there is a clear distinction throughout the whole New Testament of what an unbeliever looks like, a follower of Jesus looks like, versus an unbeliever. Okay? There's a clear distinction. There should not be a, 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 a I don't know, is that person or not? It's, a, it's very clear when, when you see the way the New Testament talks about, there's a clear distinction about what they used to be and what people presently are if they do not have Christ. However, the challenging thing that all of us have experientially felt is that we can sometimes go right back into the old way of life and look like we used to even though God, God has called us out of that. Note this line, in the futility of their thinking. What's the word futile mean? Because you don't see that word often, right? The, the, the most common times I hear futile is when people say, oh, your attempts are futile. Well, what does futile mean? Well, it means without result, in vain, for no reason. They're futile in their thinking. See, it's very important because before Paul addresses their behavior, he first addresses their thinking. And if you get that combination mixed, if you you get that order wrong, you get into some deep errors. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? See, right thinking is imperative if you want to have right living. And if you just address right living, you're going to go down a terrible path which is what I'm tempted to do as a parent often. I see my kids do something, and what do I say? Stop doing that. 
It's inconveniencing me. I'm doing work. Or why are you guys fighting? I'm not addressing their thinking or their heart. I just want them to stop because it's hard for me. And so maybe in your DNA group, you're ministering to someone and they're doing something that you don't like and you just want to kind of say, stop it. Just stop it. That's what I do. I just stop it. I don't need to deal with that. I just stop it, right? And there is a funny SNL skit that the guy gets paid $5. Have you guys seen this? And, and, and the lady's like, only $5? He said, it's only going to take a, a minute, all right? Here's my advice. Just stop it, right? Just stop it, right? And that's what we want to do because we care about behavior because we don't want to deal with the thinking in the heart because that is complex. It takes time. It takes hours. We just want to hand them the prescription. Just do this and don't do that. And Paul is deeply aware of how our thinking will affect our actions, so he's going after the thinking first. And when you think about our culture, just think about 50 years ago, even 30 years ago, if you did a poll and asked the average American about general sexual ethics, they would have, most of them, a pretty close ethic, at least in, on paper, as what the Bible teaches, right? Like 50 years ago. And now, very quickly, in just even the last decade, it's changed so much that what we see as the sexual ethic according to the Bible is so foreign to the average American. And so some people would think, what has happened? Oh, man, my, what have, what have our culture has gone to hell and, and we don't care about morality anymore. And what I would say is, we're just being what we have always been about. Because our culture has always celebrated self. And when Christianity had the dominant cultural influence, then the average person would say, okay, well, I'll put that on. I'll act like that. I'll care about those things. But then the moment the culture shifts, well, that doesn't help me anymore. I'm going to shift to that. And so for so long, evangelicals in, throughout the United States, we've addressed action. Don't do this, don't do that. And people, unbelievers, without the Holy Spirit, without being born again, said, all right, I'll take that on. And now we're shocked because they're no, no longer acting like Christians. Well, they weren't Christians. They weren't born again. They didn't have a renewed mind. They didn't love what God loved. They did not hate what he hated. They just took on what we told them to put on that would fit their own needs. And because they're serving themselves, then they switched the moment another ethic served them better. And so now we're going to look at what does this futile thinking look like more concretely? Would you look at verse 18? Is we're going to further see the state of unbelievers. <clears throat> I know that everything's on the screen and we want you to be served by the screen, but if you have a Bible, please look. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Let's look at this phrase. They are darkened in their understanding. This is the exact opposite of what we saw in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18, right? Paul is praying that we would have illuminated hearts, hearts that are able to comprehend and see the beauty and the reality of who Christ is. But for the unbeliever, they have darkness there in their understanding. Their mind is futile. They can't under, understand. They cannot see the light even if the light is shining. It's like a blind person who has no capacity to even recognize light. See, if you close your eyes and we, put, and we were in complete darkness and we shined light, you would be able to recognize through your eyelids that light has changed and you may even wince if it was bright enough. But this, they're in a state where even if there's a bright light right in their face, 
Nothing. Nothing. They, they don't even know it's there. They don't even feel it. Which reminds us all, all of us, as we minister to unbelieving family and friends and co-workers and so forth, that unless the Holy Spirit brings light into the heart and turns the lights on, we can preach to their face until, they're blue, until we're blue in the face and nothing will happen. And so that should temper the way we go about communicating and it should stop us from ever being frustrated someone is not seeing it. Because the only reason you saw it is because someone else turned it on, not because you were able to see better. And so all of us have family members and friends who were just like, come on, it's been years. Don't you see? I've shared with you over and over again. And it's because they, they're darkened in their understanding. They need the light of Christ to shine. So we must pray. We must pray way more than we preach. Notice this phrase, separated from the life of God. You guys heard that verse before, that line before, separated from the life of God? Does that sound familiar? You remember in Ephesians chapter 2, it says this. Remember that at that time, speaking about a, a past time, you were separated from Christ, excluded from the citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. That, that's a scary place to be. Without hope, without God, separated from the life of God. Remember, God is life and without him is only death. They don't have life. Why is all this happening? Because this phrase, because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. What are they ignorant about? What are they ignorant? What do they need? Well, we're going to see in verse 20, and we'll get there in a minute. But let's focus on this part of hardness of heart. Paul does not merely say a hard heart, but he's highlighting a hardened heart. You notice the difference between a hard heart and a hardened heart? A heart that has gone through a process, a hardening of their hearts happen? This word implies that they had multiple opportunities, and every single time they said yes to sin, yes to their own reign, contrary to the reign of Christ— that their heart was getting further hard, hardened. There is a progression. It's not merely they just have hard hearts. No, no, no. Their hearts are increasingly getting harder. And what's the result of that? Look at verse 19. <clears throat> They've lost all sensitivity. The ESV says they have become callous. The New Living Translation says they have no sense of shame. So as this cycle continues and perpetuates this downward spiral, what happens is they stop feeling. They're dead to feeling. They no longer feel the pain of conviction. They no longer feel the guilt that they ought to feel. <clears throat> I remember my first job at 15, I worked at the soda shop. <clears throat> I scooped ice cream, and I had the biggest forearms I ever had in my life at 15, and then I also was the grill master with sandwiches. And I remember my first or, first or second day of training, I tried to make a sandwich, and he taught me a sandwich called a Reuben. I never heard of a Reuben until this time. Some of you guys like that. Um, and, and I remember picking it up and my hands burning immediately as I touched this Reuben. 
And I screamed like a little baby. And he said, it's all right. You'll get used to that. Eventually, your hands will just, all the nerves will go dead and you won't feel it anymore. And so he's like, give it to me. And he's just like holding it in his hand, putting it on his face. Like, it's, it's fine, right? And, 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 and so you guys all know this idea of being calloused or uh, sensitivity is being lost. Over time, <clears throat> you get more and more exposure. And eventually you stop feeling, Right? You stop feeling. And I think many of us, we will often let not Scripture, but our feelings gauge if something is right or wrong. We do something, and if we feel really bad about it, we think, oh, that's bad. If we do something, whether it's right or wrong, and we don't feel bad, we're like, I guess it's good. I remember the first time I had exposure to, and this is a little mature to say, but hardcore pornography I was 12 years old, and I remember downloading on Kaza, if you guys remember Kaza. No? Nobody? Oh, gosh. Okay. Um, I was downloading music videos, and a music video that I downloaded happened to be secretly another kind of video. I didn't know that. So I click on this video, and I watch this very, very grotesque, very, very vivid scene. And as a 12-year-old, the first time I see something like this, I, I, I've... I had interactions with pornography at a very young, at third grade, um, sadly, but this was the first time I saw something like this, and I remember physically shrinking back, like, oh, what is that? I can't believe it. I, that's too, I can't. But you know what? I had exposure, and I went back to another one a little bit later, and another one, and another one, and gave it a couple of weeks and months later, I could watch something like that, and it wouldn't even faze me. Now, is it all of a sudden that thing good? No, 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 it's not good. It's that I've become calloused. I've become dead to feeling. And you know what's really sad is in our culture, we, especially Christians, we'll say stuff like, oh, I had a peace about it. So as long as we have a peace about something, it's okay. What if what you have a peace about is wrong? What if your feeling is off? See, the, the problem is all of us feel incorrectly about different things. And as we grow in Christ, we increasingly feel what we ought to feel when we should feel it. But when we first come to Christ, there's a deadness to much. And that which God is grieved by, we're not bothered by. And I just wonder if any of us here are calloused by anything that maybe something that you engaged in, you looked at, you did, or whatever, some time ago, was horrific to you, and now it doesn't even bother you. And maybe you can make the argument, well, I'm just wiser now. I'm just mature. You think the Holy One, you think Jesus, if He saw those things, if He did those things, He'd be like, oh, I'm just okay with this. I'm mature. I've always been around. And I think the Holy One would shrink back because he is so repulsed by evil and that which destroys what he is about. God, help us because all of us have our sensors and our feelers off. What is the result of this deadness to feeling? Well, it says this. We're continuing reading this verse. They have given themselves over to the sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity and they are full of greed. They've given themselves over. Notice that line. Given themselves over. 
a resignation to the desires. This is just how I am. This is what, how God made me. This is what I feel. This is what's natural. This is what's normal for me. And because it's normal for me, therefore, I must be justified in this. Therefore, if I want to be truly human, I must be faithful to these feelings, these propensities. Hopefully, you see the breakdown in this logic because I know all of us here have different propensities to different things that are not good. In my family, we have a propensity to lust. If, do you guys know what a genogram is? A genogram basically follows your family history. And I look at all the past fathers and grandpas and great-grandpas, almost all of them have had adultery in my family. So, because I have a predisposition to that, culturally, in my family, and maybe in some level genetically, does that mean I get a free pass and I can cheat on my wife? Well, you guys know the answer to that. That's stupid. Absolutely not. And some of us in my family, we have a predisposition to anger. You follow the line of my fathers, almost all of them had an anger issue. Well, I'm just being real to myself. I can lash out an anger to my kids and to my wife. I'm just being real to myself. I've got to be real to myself. You guys see the breakdown of this logic? And many in our culture and many maybe even among us have resigned and said, you know, this is just how I am. I've just given myself over to this propensity, this sin, this whatever it is. But remember, in this fallen world, everything down to our DNA has been twisted and broken at some level. Everything. Because we've rejected our rightful king and we've removed like the very core of the earth, the whole world is crumbling in on itself. And so even the most good things that God created is tainted in some way. Even the beauties of such an amazing marriage can be tainted. Every little good thing in this world has been tainted. And until our coming king returns and makes all things new, that is our reality. But we don't resign to that reality in the day-to-day. We navigate it by the means that God has given, given, given us. And I'm afraid many of us have resigned to some of these desires that we are disposed to. Notice also, when they give yourself over to something, that there is a progression that wants more and more. Sinful desires are never static. They're never statues. They're never like, oh, I'm just good with that. No, 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 I'll take that, and then I want a little more, and then I want a little more, and a little more, and a little more. There is no sin that any of us have ever engaged in that we're like, oh, I'm good with that, because next time you want more. You need more. I just remember when Joanne and I were dating, we started off with very small compromises that were very innocent and not bad compared to the world standards, but the engine started. You know what I'm saying? And we increasingly fell into further compromises because sin is never satisfied. And when you hear that lie, it says, oh, I'll only go this far no longer, no more. I won't overgo that far again. That's a lie. That is a lie because it will always want and demand more sooner or later. Notice this phrase, every kind of impurity. Every kind of impurity. Sin comes in bunches. And it may, this passage may highlight... Okay, don't do this. Can I do this? Okay. Sin comes in bunches. 
And although this passage is highlighting lust and greed, as you guys know, it comes with others. In this statement right here, it says, every kind of impurity. That covers everything. Sin can spiral to other things. It may start with one thing, but then all of a sudden, you give it a couple of seasons, and all of a sudden, you find someone over here. Whoever listens to this talk is like, why are they laughing? What is he doing? Well, I'm, those who are listening, one day I am dancing kind of with my arms because this really awesome mic. Notice this other phrase, and are full of greed. It's amazing how deeply connected lust and greed are often. Why? Why is lust and greed often connected together? Lust and greed often come in pairs. One follows the other, and if you see one, the other one is not far off. Why? Well, I think, I think at least one thing I can say is that lust and greed, fundamentally, both are tied to self. I'm using you, I'm looking at you, or I'm doing something with your body or whatever for myself. And greed is the, op- is, is the similar, right? I'm taking, I want more for self. Self is the fundamental issue with all sins, and they all root up to that. And so this whole section can be summed up with this. Kent Hughes has a helpful summary. It's on the screen. Number one, hardness of heart, and then moves to, number two, darkness of heart, and then number three, deadness, and finally number four, reckless, unrestrained abandonment to sin. This is the cycle of sin. Starts with a certain kind of thinking that's self-oriented. It's curved in on itself. And then it leads to actions and different impure actions and manifestations. And then it finally leads to an outcome, which is a life disconnected and separated from the life-giving God. Romans 1, actually this whole passage has so many parallel passages throughout the whole Bible. I had to cut them down over and over again, and I may include them in the midweek podcast, but I wanted to include Romans 1. It's going to be up here on the screen, and I'm going to ask you guys to read it out loud. It's, it's going to be long, and, and I want you guys to read it out loud because it really fits this passage well, and it really fits our culture, and it really fits me sometimes. Sometimes. If it meant all times, I wouldn't be a believer but it does fit me sometimes, and I think it fits you sometimes too. And so would you read this out loud? This is from the New Living Translation because I think it just helps it unpack it a little clearer for our, our modern audiences. Would you read with me? We apologize, but there was an issue with the sound pack, and so it started crackling. And so lest we uh, destroy your ears, we cut that whole section out and back to the message now. So that was a lot. And that was extremely distracting with this, whatever is going on. And I just praise God for how secure and much I love these guys. They're here fiddling around in my back pocket, and I didn't even think about it. <laughs> I was like, wait a second, are you guys here? But distractions aside, that was a terrible and a bleak description of humanity. And although not every one of us have experienced every aspect of that list, all of us have probably seen realities in that list that have been reflective of our hearts before Christ and even at times after Christ. But there's an alternative. 
there's an alternative. Look at verse 20 in chapter 4. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. Amen? But notice this word learn is not merely information. Oh, oh that's not how, uh, what happened to you. You remember you got that one pamphlet and you read it and now you know things that you didn't know. Before you didn't know, now you know. No, 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 no. This word learning is personal. Remember in Ephesians chapter 3, the knowledge of a God, having God, it's a personal relationship. And as trite and as overused that statement is, this is a reality. Knowing him for who he is. To become a new person requires meeting a new person. That person is Christ. You can't just merely act like Christ without knowing Christ. And that's the problem with many of those on the right and many of in our evangelical culture, not all but many, where we try to make people dress up like Christians, but they don't know Christ. You can't act like a Christian if you don't know Christ for long. You can dress it up, but oh, eventually your true colors will show. Pete O'Brien says this, Learning Christ means welcoming him as a living person and being shaped by his teaching. This involves submitting to his rule of righteousness and responding to his summons to standards and values completely different from what they had known. Completely new orientation of thinking and life. And notice this word learn is the same root word for where we get for disciple. And so it's not merely just knowing something, it's following this person. It's conforming your entire pattern of living to that person. It's following that person around, becoming just like him in the way they think and act in every little way. And I love this phrase, in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. Jesus is true. He is the way. He's the truth. He's the life. And if we want to battle against the barrage of deceptions and the lies constantly thrown at us, we must know the truth and spend time with the truth regularly so we can discern from the counterfeit and what's true. In light of our knowing Christ, we must, by the help of God, do these three actions. So the rest of the passage, because it, it starts off, did you follow, with the bleak state of what we were before Christ and what people are without Christ now, then how it beautifully shifted because we learned Christ, we met Christ, and now what should we do in light of meeting Christ? Here are three things. First off, we want to take off. Put off. Take off. Verse 22, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. Put off your old self. So I'm going to go nerd mode for a second because I have to, okay? So the tense right here for this word put off is a tense called the aorist, okay? Don't worry about that. Just help me, just understand what I'm saying. Most Languages don't have this tense. What this tense means, it refers to a single past finished action. Single past finished action. So he's telling them to take off. But it's in the aorist, so he's saying take off something that has already been taken off. Let's look at Romans 6.6. It will help you see this. For we know that our old self was crucified 
with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. The old self was what? Crucified. Not, not slapped, not discouraged, crucified. Crucifixion leads to death. The old self has already been killed. The old self has already been taken off. When we are baptized, we are signifying symbolically what already has happened, that we are dying to our old self, going into the water, representing ground, and then coming out as a new person, person and putting on a new life, new person, Christ. This language is taking off is also the language, if you look throughout Greek literature, would be the same language for putting on or putting off clothing. And so there's a way to put off clothing that you've already put off and put it back right back on. You could die to the old self and then put the old self back on. The old self's thinking, the old self's actions. What is this old self currently like? Well, notice the phrase, which is being corrupted. We're back at the verse, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. This these desires of the old self are deceitful. Which, that's why I said in the beginning of the sermon, that's why the sermon was so hard for me to wrestle with because I'm, I don't know what I'm deceived by. What am I deceived by, Lord? Help me understand. And that's why we need the Holy Spirit. We need community to shine the light in places we can't see because all of us cannot fully see all that's here. That's why we need each other. And I think by God's design, he does not let us see it all because he wants us to lean in and depend on one another. That's why we have DNA groups and MCs. I, I was thinking about deceitful desires. I think it's kind of like clothing that you're wearing. Like, have you ever been, someone called attention to clothing that you're wearing, and all of a sudden you realize you can feel it? Like right now, can you feel your shirt that's closest to your skin? If you think about it, you can, right? But before you didn't, right? It's just there, and your mind has tuned that out. But if I call you to attention to think about the feeling, you can feel it, right? Unless you guys are like dealing with leprosy, you guys can feel your skin, right? You can feel it. You can feel the, t the, the, the sensation of the cotton touching you. But unless it's called to attention by another, usually you're ignorant of it or something has to happen for you to feel it. I think another illustration besides clothing is also like glasses. Now, I don't wear glasses anymore because some doctors shot lasers in my eyes. But when I used to wear glasses... There were long stretches of time where I didn't even realize I was wearing them, right? That's why you have people who, like, oh, where am I? Oh, they're, they're on my face. They're, like, literally on. Because when you wear glasses and you wear them close enough, you're in the world of the lenses, right? You see everything through those lenses. And you need someone to say, oh, nice glasses, that you're like, oh, yeah. Or you're running, and all of a sudden you feel them, like, flapping up and down, right? Something needs to happen or someone needs to bump into you for you to feel that they're there and to, for you to recognize what's going on. And it's the same thing with the old self. We can sneakily put back on the old self and not even realize because there's like cotton to our skin. We just feel it. We don't even feel it. It's just right on us. It's only until someone calls out and says, hey, brother, I see you're wearing that thing again. You're like, whoa, whoa, I forgot. Or hey, sister, I noticed you put those glasses on again. You're putting on that lens of the world. 
You're putting on that despair. You're putting on that depression. You're putting on that mindset, whatever it is. Oh, yeah, I forgot. I, had, I put it back on. That's why we need the community to do what we talked about last sermon, to speak the truth in love. To speak the truth in love to one another. And that requires time and proximity and courage and humility. Here's the second thing he calls us to do. Verse 23, to be made new in the attitude of your minds. Again, he's addressing the thinking, the mind, not just the actions. The grammar here suggests that it's both something that you do and something that is done to you. Something that God is doing and something that you also participate with him in doing. And so the renewal of the mind is something that we actively participate as we lay down our mind and we say, God, I want to think the way you think about everything. And then we actively put ourselves in position to get that. We put ourselves where we hear the word. We put ourselves in community where they can speak truth. We put ourselves in different graces so that we can receive that renewal. But that renewal could only happen by God. That's why Romans 12, 2 is so helpful. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And so it's both to have a renewed mind about the thoughts of God. We must have both God do it and us surrender to it and participate in it. Finally, we have to put on. Verse 24. And to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. When we went down into the waters of baptism spiritually and came back up physically, we were, put, we, we were given a new life, new identity, new clothes, spiritually speaking. But the reality is that this put on is continuous. We have to, every day when we rise, we have to put back on Christ. Because, because the flesh that still remains, we all have a propensity to take off the, old, the, the new self and put back on our old clothing. You can't merely take off, you must put on, which is the beauty of this passage and throughout the whole New Testament, rarely do you ever see God just say, don't do that. What does he usually say? Do this instead. Replace that with this. Don't just take off. Don't take off lying. Don't just take off pride. Don't just take off selfish. Put on generosity. Put on truth-telling. Put on service. And is the world's thinking to merely dictate our actions to say, stop doing that, just stop doing that. Christ says, takes it a step way further, put on this. But to put this all into being more concrete, what do you mean by putting on, taking off? Look at Romans 13, 14. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. And so if you want to think about simply how do you put on, here, here's what you do. Think about how Jesus would do it. Put on Jesus in that moment. How would he live in that moment if he were you? Don't just think WWJD, because that's not always helpful, because you think, how would this man who's 30 do this? 
No, no, no. How would Jesus live if he were you in that circumstance? Put on Christ in that moment. How would you respond to your children when they wake you up for the tenth time in the middle of the night? How would you respond to that? Right? How would you respond to your friend who keeps falling back to the old patterns and you try to help them? You're like, come on, I've, we've been there before, aren't you? You're dumb or something. No, no, no. Put on Christ. He's compassion. He's patient. He's steadfast. How do we put on Christ in everything? But, for, but to the extent we know Christ will dictate the ability of how much we can put on Christ. So look at 2 Corinthians 3.18. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. What is this passage teaching us? Is that if we don't know Christ, if we don't have a personal relationship that's increasing in intimacy and knowledge of him, we're not going to be able to put on Christ because we won't know how to act like he would in that moment. We won't know how to put on Christ in that moment because we don't know him. So it's imperative that our number one pursuit is not action, but intimacy. Not just doing, but knowing. Knowing must come before doing. The last few days I've been trying to practice this passage, and there's been a number of times, I don't know why, maybe we're just hitting a wall after planning this church and moving and pregnancy and shingles, but I've just been feeling weary. weary. Just maybe it's SAD with the seasonal. Well, I don't know what it is. I'm just feeling tired. I'm feeling unmotivated the last week. I remember there's been a handful of times in the last 48 hours where I didn't want to serve my family. I didn't want to be a great dad. I wanted to be on my phone while my kids were playing. I wanted to just do more things. And then I just said, no, 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 no. I'm taking off the old band. I'm the, taking off the old self. The old Sam would just live for himself and just think, you know what? I, I've earned this. I can rest. I can take it easy for the season. I've done a lot. No, no, no. But the new self is like Christ who serves others. And so over and over the last 48 hours, I've just had to, I don't want to do these dishes. Someone else will get, no, no one's going to get to them. <laughs> and I was just thinking to myself, <laughs> wife's pregnant, first trimester, okay, you've got to remember that, all right? She's, she's, a, she's a beast when she's not pregnant. And so it's been hard lately because the beast is gone. <laughs> um, and, and so I just, over and over, I've had to say, Lord, help me put on Christ. I want to put on, I want to put on my old self. The old self is selfish. The old self is comfortable. The old self puts himself first. I want to put on Christ for he thinks about others. You know, but the problem with this whole situation remains is this. We still love our old self, right? We still love our old clothes. Stick with me. We're wrapping up. This is important. And I didn't bring this for you guys to lose, <laughs> lose attention at this time. <laughs> We love our old clothes. I got this about five years ago for like 40 bucks, and I wear it for everything, for everything formal. I, I bought two. I bought a gray one and a black one. They're both like, they're glued on. They're, they're like, you know, from H&M. I've never cleaned them before, and I noticed as I wore it today, I have like marks from different weddings. And as much as I don't like these, I'm comfortable in it, Right? See, the problem is, this is all we know. For many years, the old self, the ways, the patterns of the world, that's all we know. So even though in one sense we hate it and can't stand that way of life, we love it and we're comfortable in it. And so what, what it is <laughs> to take off to, and put on is like this. It's like putting on 
really large clothes, okay? Nice clothes, but large clothes. See, I'm taking off right now. I'm taking off the old man, and I'm putting on, and this is symbolizing Christ, and I think if it was a better illustration, this would be white. But this is huge on me, right? This is not fitted. This is kind of what they used to wear in the NBA draft like 10 years ago, just huge clothing. And I just want you guys to be able to see this. I'm swimming in this thing, all right? But it's nice. This is way more expensive than my polyester $40 H&M jacket. And when we put on Christ, it's kind of like this. We put on a new identity, and although it's right and good, we need to grow into it. And although it's right and good, we don't feel comfortable in it yet. This, this doesn't look or feel comfortable. You guys probably feel awkward just looking at me. But over time, as we walk and grow and mature into Christ, we start to fill this out. We start to get buffer. We start filling this out, and this becomes, are you recording me, honey? Ah. Joanna just took a picture and recorded me. But over time, we fill this out, and this becomes like part of our skin and normal. But for areas that are stubborn in our life, it feels like this. And we keep wanting to put on the old self, the old self that fits perfectly, and it's stained, and we know kind of exactly what we're going to get. But we hate it, and I don't hate this thing, but I don't like it very much. So if anyone owns a tailor shop, hook me up. But you guys get what I'm saying? The old self, the way we're what we were before Christ. It's all we know. It's what we're comfortable with. So it's easy to fall back into these patterns, put these back on, even though Christ has called us to a new identity. And so we need one another to regularly help each other take off the old man that we keep putting back on, that's dead, and put on the new man. And for us to grow up into maturity and fill in those gaps to where that becomes our new identity, that becomes who we are, that becomes natural and normal for us instead of foreign. But if you're immature in Christ, then anytime you put on Christ, his attitude, his thinking, his actions, it's going to always feel out of sorts. But as we increasingly walk in that way, it will be normal for us. If you're not a Christian, let me say this to you. If you're not actually following Jesus, you may call yourself a Christian, but if you're not actually a lover of Jesus, Jesus is your treasure, your Savior, your Lord, your old man is all you know. And you don't even have a choice to take it off. You are trapped. You are hopeless unless another comes along. And I would just tell you this, another has come along. Another has come along, and what that person did is he took our clothes, our sin, our shame, our track record, put it on himself, and then was treated as if he were all those things. And so on the cross, people jeered at him, made launched, loft all, all kinds of insults on him as if he did those things that you and I have all done. He put on our clothes. And as a result, if you trust in him, if you repent and turn from your ways, as you have that change of thinking and turn to him, you can take off the old clothes and you can put on his. Pure, righteous, perfect. And then from now on, God the Father will treat you as if you always wore those clothes. 
as if you always lived that life, as you always thought the right things, as you always did the right things. Isn't that amazing? Christians, that's what we get. We get treated like, like we, with a life that we've never done, that we never deserved. Because another one, Christ, was treated like he did all that we deserved, all that we did. That's the gospel. And we get this beautiful exchange where he wears our dirty robes. We get his righteousness and his cleanliness. And yet, for us, we often put back those clothes that were already discarded in Calvary. And so, I want to wrap up with these two questions that you can, will be on the screen during the reflection time. Here's the first one. What are the primary voices in my life that shape my values and thinking? What are the primary voices that are shaping my values and thinking? Number two, are there any areas in my life? Did I put an of in there? Any areas of in my life? That's wrong. In my life that God is grieved by, but I am not. In other words, have I become callous towards any sin? And I can't answer that question for you. I don't know what that is for you. I kind of know some of the things in my life the Lord's been showing me this week, but we need the Holy Spirit. So Dale's going to come up, and as we enter this reflection time, can we just, just ask the Holy Spirit to show us these things? And if he does, don't stay there in that state of despair. Rejoice that he's already taken it off because he's put it on. Christ has already put those clothes on. Christ has already taken that punishment as he, has he done all those things. And just relish in the goodness of his mercy that he has not done with you. He is forgiving. He is merciful. And your sin, though it may be bleak and many, his grace is greater. His mercy is greater. He is rich in grace, rich in mercy. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you have loved us so much that you sent your only begotten son. That if any of us here trust and believe in this Christ that we don't have to hold on to our garments, our stained garments full of shame and past that is sad and depressing, but we get to take on the new life that you have for us. No matter our past, no matter what we've done, no matter what kind of background we have, no matter what has been done to us, we have new life in you. And so, Lord, help our church put on Christ this week. And right now, I pray specifically before we talk about putting on Christ, would you show us and reveal areas in our life that we are callous to your voice, areas that we have just resigned to be okay with. You know what, God? You're okay with that, right? We have an understanding in that area of my life. You don't need to touch that area. That area is too comfortable for me. You can touch other areas that I don't really care about, but that one you can't touch. Lord, would you show us anything that we are holding back, any areas that we have are clinging to because we love them, even though we may hate them. I pray just throughout this whole gathering, there would be white flags of just surrender, surrender to all the things that we are clinging to still of the old self that you have crucified with Christ. Holy Spirit, speak to us now. Deal with us graciously, but seriously. Don't let us stay in our state. Be glorified in cleansing, cleaning house, and bring us to joy. We 
greater intimacy with you.